The information featured in this program does not constitute any investment advice, nor is anything mentioned an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or other instruments. Anything discussed is for informational purposes only and does not take into account your personal circumstances, needs, or objectives. Under no circumstances should investments be based solely on the information provided. Guests appearing on the program may own or have commercial arrangements with some of the companies or projects mentioned. Before making any investment, insurance, or financial planning decisions, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon to all those across the cryptocurrency world. My name is Louis Mossman, and welcome to the Platypus Show, where each week we discuss the latest cryptocurrency market news, one exciting sector of the market in particular, and then, of course, some bright ideas and hot opportunities for your own portfolio. But before we get into the meat of things, I'll introduce you to my friend, Dr. Adam Shedokovsky, joining me as always to break down the market. How are you today, Doctor? Good, thank you. That's good, and a lot to cover, and especially what's happened over the last 24 hours. Uh, so it looked like a good week until there was an absolute bud bloodbath on Wall Street, uh, bringing everything crashing down. So tell us what moved and what didn't. Oh, well, the last 24 hours was very, very volatile. Uh, but if you actually look at the broad week, so the last seven days, we are in the positive. So that's okay. uh, that just shows, I mean, the overall strength we had throughout the entire week. So even though we have like this dump and uh, within the last 24 hours, we still are in the positive. So let's actually have a look at the chart for the uh, so for the last seven days and see how we are trading. And we do see uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum are both up. So uh, Bitcoin did very well, up mm -hmm. 8% for the week. And um, But the biggest winner was, of course, uh, Solana. But you can see every single crypto coin is actually in the positive over yeah, the well. week. Uh, where uh, I mean, the stable coins like zero. Yeah, well, they're, they're the only ones in the green. And when you know that they're the only ones in the green, that's when you know it's concerning, right? <laughs> so a very interesting week. I mean, the last 24 hours was, as you were saying, it's crazy. But for the, for the overall mm -hmm. last seven days was actually, we're still in the positive. Market cap increased by 5% and volume increased by 15%. Mm -hmm. And there was a little bit of a shift because uh, Bitcoin outperformed Ethereum this week. Uh, the overall volume of BTC relatively to altcoin has increased uh, and that has been actually quite unusual for the last uh, couple of weeks. And Solana made a bit of a jump during the week, is that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So despite it, there was a significant pullback the last 24 hours. We are looking at a 8.9% gain for the whole week. And we had seen some days where it was jumping very, very significantly. We saw it uh, trading as much as uh, at 39 something and now it pulled all the way back to 34 but was much much higher than that throughout the week so very volatile and interesting week and yeah uh, uh, what was basically happening well there's a lot of things in the news regarding Solana so one of the things I want to um, uh, is like kind of self-confirming when something is happening uh, then that can push uh, the trajectory of, of crisis of of prices and that happened so there was some volume moves that were very significant uh, one particular thing that was uh, changing very significantly was actually volume of nfts okay. on the solana blockchain so we are talking about um a lot of people are saying oh the time where everything was really hot 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 that was in 2021 but actually this week we had the highest volume in nfts on solana in history 
So uh, really something that they're coming into. They weren't known for it last year, but of course the Ethereum, uh, sorry, the NFT, I suppose, renaissance happened last year on Ethereum. Now Solana's getting a bit of the love and you know, they're I suppose expanding across the board of smart contract platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So we saw uh, so that also resulted in a, a very significant increases in volumes of trading of Solana and uh, and of course there is yet another piece of news uh, that is backing that and that is the Helium network. So that is the the internet of things. Uh, crypto project and uh, they are uh, basically moving uh, away from their own uh, blockchain technologies and they're moving into trying to use fully using Solana for all the services so that's very interesting and that was again uh, set more firmly in stone uh, this week and that uh, the yeah, everyone was responding very, very positively to that. And any other big movers at all, uh, I suppose, over the week and over the, the longer period as well? I mean, there are a lot of big movements, but, I mean, but certainly for, uh, so, uh, but I mean, so there will, yeah, I mean, actually, let's have a look at the next chart because that is exactly what is showing the big movers for the week. And the big, biggest winner for the week in the top 50, that was the Atom uh, token. So Atom, uh, that is um, uh, basically a project um, the Cosmos uh, uh, project is uh, about like tr trying to be hub for chains and really uh, solve the issue whereby of interoperability uh, between different blockchains. Mm -hmm. So that's really their message they're sending across, and that's what they're aiming for. A lot of investors are invested into uh, this project. So Block Zero, Broccoli Capital, and I mean the list uh, goes on as you can see here. I have this thirty. Uh, <laughs> 30 plus uh, investors that are in there so very interesting and uh, and um, yeah and that was so, so that was some of the news there was always uh, so there was some uh, news in regards to potential further uh, development of uh, new hubs there as well so that's that's like kind of the uh, the different blockchains that can be added uh, together mm -hmm. and then they're all connected by Cosmos so and they're always always evolving so a very interesting uh, pr uh, project yeah, uh, Cosmos is one when you look at it on a chart, it's really bucked the trend of the, the broader crypto market over the last, say, uh, three or four months, really. And it's bounced up far greater than many of the other projects. So there's definitely a lot of interest in what it offers. But I suppose moving on to what dominated, uh, I suppose, the real news for the week is the last 24-hour period. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the flow-on effects that equity markets had to crypto um, was most definitely seen. And we'll start there. We're looking at US CPI data. So I would like to bring up a quick chart um, showing you exactly what happened this month. So consumer prices rose 8.3% in August. That's from the same month a year ago, down 8.5% from July and down 9.1% from June. So Adam, that sounds pretty good, right? You might think that that sounds pretty good. Yeah, this is the lowest in three months and yeah. steadily they're going down. Eh? <laughs> but that 8 that number that we got was actually worse than expectations. So economists polled by the Wall Street Journal did expect inflation actually drop a little bit further. And what we're looking at here on this chart is, I suppose, that drop in inflation, which we, of course, got, which is a good thing. But if you look at inflation, so a consumer basket of goods or a consumer price index, when you exclude food and energy, prices actually ticked up for the first time in six months. So yes, we did have inflation, fall lower. And that's, a, I suppose, a good thing. But if you exclude energy and food, the prices of everything else in the economy on average is actually moving higher. And of course, the big thing driving food and energy prices is the price of oil, which has come back, easing inflation, which is a good thing. But that's got nothing to do with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and doing their job. So just what impact the Federal Reserve is happening, having 
and how successful their rate rises are is exactly uh, what's coming into question. Thoughts on that? I mean, I just think about the food bec- uh, index there because this was the highest one we have ever seen for, uh, s- I mean, for for a, a number of years. And I'm just thinking, like, just th- I mean, the affordability of normal things like food is just going skyrocketing. Yeah, it's it's an uh, amazing reaction to, I suppose, two years of money being thrown into into the economy. And, of course, that price, I suppose, momentum hasn't slowed. And I bring up a chart of the S&P 500 just to show you the effect uh, that, th- I suppose, this news had on the market. And that was an extremely significant, more than 4% drop in the S&P 500 in one of its worst days since June 2020. Uh, while Treasury yields, of course, uh, and they rose alongside the US dollar, which surged yesterday. Yet again, there seems to be no roof on the dollar. So I thought I'd also bring some commentary. So what does the, uh, the street think about this? Uh, the first one is Matt Forrester. He's the chief investment officer at Lockwood Advisors. He said the Fed might have to do a lot more work in order to contain inflation. Okay, so that's one view. We have another one, Torsten Slock, the chief economist at Apollo Management. He says, this tells you that it's going to take longer time and will require higher rates. And in macro language, maybe even require more demand destruction. It will raise the probability of a recession. Not painting a very positive outlook. And the final one here um, is Baleri Rucci, US economist at T. Rowe Price. Sorry, Yuri, if I butchered your name. Uh, but he's, uh, he or she says, uh, my experience with inflation is that some of the components that were very strong in today's report, they tend to be sticky uh, and have a lot of inertia. So I would expect those to remain strong in the coming months in terms of prices. So exactly what that chart showed. Where do you sit on this uh, topic, Adam? Do you think that the Fed's working? Do you reckon they're doing their job right? Or do you reckon they have to go that 100 basis point rate rise that's coming into, I suppose, the conversation now? Yeah, it, it, I mean, I didn't expect that to, to come uh, if we just go a little bit back in, uh, in time. So I think that is very, very aggressive, to be honest. Mm. Uh, so we will have to see how that evolves. But yeah, I mean, mm. recession is never a good thing. So. Yeah, well, well like you, when you think about what the market is predicting, if you look at its CME uh, futures data, and mm. I suppose based on how... You, um, how with how traders and especially bond traders are trading market, you can predict what the market is saying about the Federal Reserve's next rate rise, which comes next week, by the way. Now, at the start of the week, the market was pricing in a 9% chance of a half a percentage point increase, right? Today, after that news, it is zero. <laughs> the market says it's definitely going to be 75 and there is a chance of a 100. Yeah. So, you know, things aren't as rosy uh, as we first thought. And I suppose all the gains that we saw last week in which was, I think, four or five consecutive green candlesticks uh, for the S&P 500 completely erased yeah. and we've gone the other way. Um, and of course, the flow of the tightening done by the Fed has been seen across the broader economy. And now it's been seen on balance sheets of banks. Uh, when yep. you look at the deposits that the U.S. consumer has uh, at different banks. And tell us about that, Adam. How, is that a bad thing, a good thing? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, broadly speaking, uh, that is a good thing because, I mean, the money that the Fed has been pumping is just exceptional. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers, they have just, uh, over the last two years, they have been pumping five trillion U.S. dollars into the economy. So it's just so much stimulus at the moment that actually the banks... Uh, they want some of that money. Some of their balances uh, go down. Uh, so uh, it's interesting. So, and I mean, yeah. So they actually want that. So, so just so things are not 
going out of hand. And so the move has been expected i mean uh, if you go a few months back so i think back in april uh, there were there were guesses that will not be happening at all but uh, now that has shifted quite a lot and we have now seen some uh, changes to the numbers so just to give you an overview of what we are looking at uh, let me show you a chart so this goes a little bit uh, further back so it doesn't show the latest readings but you can see uh, on to uh, but it has how we have a very very steadily uptrend and uptrend and uptrend and uh, i will give you the numbers that you need so that was the a quarter the previous quarter that was 19.6 trillion uh, in the sorry 19.9 trillion in the, the quarter uh, q1 and now we saw a new quarter that the q2 was 19.56 and, and this is one of the first declines in this ratio yeah. for some so time, exactly as you can see on the chart it has been mm. up and up and up and up with the fed pumping money and this is the first one we have had in years mm. Well, I suppose you could say that, you know, I asked the question before, is the Fed's monetary policy working? I suppose that does say something's working, right? At least there is being money pulled out in some sense, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are seeing an effect of the policies and uh, the expectations were that, uh, because this is a little bit of a lay, uh, uh, these numbers are supposed to like react at a later time. Mm. So this is actually really showing that uh, the Fed has been more aggressive than previously expected. And they are. I mean, uh, so the, uh, these, this change has come much earlier than expected, at least for some uh, experts. And uh, so that's, I think that is somehow a healthy sign. Like we're at least seeing that some of the measures they're taking aren't <laughs> making an effect. I mean, imagine if they didn't. Mm. Like if there is, uh, so I think... Uh, yeah, and the, the, then the question is whether uh, how how sharp will the changes be? Because if things happen too fast, then we then we are, we will be hitting a recession. Maybe wonder is uh, yeah we and yeah softer lending will be better. Yeah, of course, and I suppose if we want to talk about the impact on cryptocurrency markets, combining what the news you brought and the news that I brought as well, what do you think the implications are for cryptocurrency? Because in my mind, adding you know one and one equals two. It does say, well, that there's less deposits on hand, savings rates are going down, and people are obviously able to save less. And of course, wages probably aren't keeping up as much as inflation is. So is there less disposable income for people to throw at you know, alternate investments like cryptocurrency? Is that something to be concerned about? Yeah, I mean, uh, the overall liquidity hasn't actually changed significantly. Uh, what we, but what we are just seeing is the reason, I mean, actually the, the deposits are going down is, is because people are moving more uh, money into bonds, for example. Yeah, and I think you highlighted it really well. It's the delayed impact of um, monetary policy that people aren't really aware of because, you know, when the when a, a government announces some sort of fiscal spending package, as soon as the dollars start rolling out, it hits the economy almost straight away. But when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, for that flow-on effect to happen from you know, the overnight interest rate, which they do communicate with banks using, the flow on effect of that into the broad economy takes months. And I mean, the full effect may be a year or some sense. So next week's 75 basis point rate rise, if we get it, I mean, the impact of that might not be felt for months afterwards. So there's still a lot of work to do. I think we can uh, both surmise, yeah? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when you look at, the, for example, the overall mortgages numbers, I mean, we are talking about such a big numbers and then like, how, how much will it affect if there are like thousands fewer and more people uh, that they are making or not making mortgages, right? I mean, it will take a while to, to 
if that really affect the big numbers, right? So yeah, there is always a delay, like you mentioned. Yeah, so uh, I mean, to wrap that up, if we are concerned about how much money there is to be investing in crypto, um, that's there's probably not plenty. to be, there's still plenty. That's what I'd like to say, but it's not about how much there is disposable to be invested. It's, you know, the access to it. And this week, there was some big news from uh, some major, major Wall Street players. Now these names, again, are major. We have Charles Schwab, Citadel, and Fidelity. Those are big names that most people People have heard of they have together launched a digital asset exchange called edx markets now this is a quote from edx markets they said that they will address latent demand for digital asset trading by enabling the safe and compliant trading of digital assets through trusted intermediaries edxm will enable a high liquidity cryptocurrency ecosystem that aggregates liquidity from multiple market makers to reduce spreads and improve transparency this commitment to price discovery and efficiency is expected to result in better prices for investors than those offered by existing exchanges so when you've got these big wall street banks and big wall street players again coming in and tackling that market it's only a good thing for the oh, yeah. retail investor right absolutely yeah i mean they have just more opportunities to get involved exactly and it's a one trillion dollar industry they also went on to comment uh, with 300 million people in the world invested uh, but they do believe that they are unlocking more demand by providing uh, a quality of uh, sorry, a platform of greater quality um, do you think this is the continued trend or is there I mean everybody's almost announced that they'll be going into crypto are these sort of announcements going to be market moving for much longer because as I said I mean, just about every company has said that they're mo moving forward and looking at it already I mean, it's it's getting more and more common, and uh, now it's almost like I mean, for a lot of industries, it's like actually more common now uh, that people are looking into getting into crypto. I mean, for example, uh, in Australia, the, uh, the banks there, it's like it's, uh, if you look at the top five, now we are only counting the few ones. That's the one they are not looking into mm -hmm. crypto. Yeah, yeah. I think there's only one of that which is not. And I think I mean, if you're looking for a reason, to argue that this is still a great point to get into the crypto markets i was looking at the market cap of crypto over the last five years and i mean back in 2017 we were touching on the high 600 700 billion dollar market cap and today this is almost four or five years later we're only at one trillion so it hasn't really exploded that much after such a massive correction from bitcoin coming from 69 to 20 so mm. it just goes to show that there is still a lot of room for growth and i mean if markets were saying that back then then surely there's an entry point at least at twenty thousand, uh, even if crypto markets go lower yeah? yeah um and now we're talking about positive regulation there there's always a, a con for every pro uh and russia is someone who's been very critical let's just say of cryptocurrency markets especially over the last 12 months uh but they're looking to clear up their position on that is that right yeah i mean yes and no i mean they have they have had all these different statements going back and forth sometimes mm -hmm. they're pro sometimes they're against and like it, it, it was almost getting to a comical extent i would say but now at least uh there was a little bit of a push that they should make some sort of final decision. So uh, there we had something like that happening this week. So it was the Russian prime minister coming out with official uh, statements. So let's have a picture of how he's looking there. So there we have him. Um, so he was the one that was uh, actively encouraging this. So basically he was directly calling on to uh, the Duma and also other state authorities to make a coordinated policy that uh, really takes into account the broader legislations in 
in Russia, so takes into account there's a well, so policies that are well aligned with Bank of Russia, the Russian Federal uh, Finance Ministry, the anti money laundering, uh, and also uh, Federal Security Services, tax service, and so on. All of those. And he, he's saying, like, let's get all of that settled. And what I think is interesting is not he's just saying that because but he did put a due date. Yeah, well, I think that's a good thing for cryptocurrency in Russia. Now, this is uh, interesting for one fact because, as you said, there's been so much miscommunication about what um, Russia's actual policy on it. And I know you didn't want to have a go at his name, but I will. And it's Mikhail Mishutsin. Hopefully I got that right. It kind of looks like my dad. Hi, dad, if you're watching. But um, yeah, it's a good decision, at least, to bring all the parties together within a jurisdiction and come up with some unified rules and restrictions and regulations because, I mean, we've been looking at a lot about the different restrictions and rules and, I mean, all the compliance around different parts of the world. And it's so fragmented. I mean, what's the best approach to tackle this and at least give a clear path for businesses who want to invest um, and also countries that want to allow businesses to invest? What's yeah, I mean, the best way to support I mean, the strategy? At least what Russia is saying they will be do, uh, what they will be doing or plan, planning to do according to the minister. So by December 19th, I think it is a good approach to be open, to be aligned. All the, uh, all the governmental bodies are aligned with one another and are open about what they want to do. I mean, that's the way to go. Yeah, and how does something like then maybe the European Union go about it? Because, I mean, if they're going to be, I mean, I suppose they are one uh, monetary uh, union. How do they go about it? I mean, they, they struggle to agree on just about anything. <laughs> so it's going to be very difficult because then you've got the IMF trying to bring all countries together. I mean, what time frame do you go? I feel like we talk about this all the time, but what time frame do you give that? Or is it something that the they're just going to always be behind because the market's moving too fast? Yeah, I, mean, I think Europe is, is a tougher one, but uh, there is more and more an incentive for them to sort it out because some of the issues that we have been seeing in the crypto were, uh, for example, the terror uh, mm. Collapsing. I mean, that is really a really motivating factor to get something across uh, that is unified, that people can rely on, and uh, and so we can get things on a more like reliable basis and uh, slightly more regulated, so people can trust it. Exactly right. Um, and for our last piece of news for today, Adam, it's pretty exciting. Okay, and I'm sure you'd agree with me. Uh, on the time of recording this, we're just around 24 hours out uh, from the Ethereum merge, which is an extremely exciting event. Are you excited, Adam? We have been waiting for that. We have been waiting. Uh, and I tell you who was also excited is Google. If you look at, uh, the, uh, if you look at the chart was just brought up, they've actually got a merge countdown, which is uh, tracking a few things. Uh, the current difficulty, the hash rate, and the merge difficulty, of course, are waiting for a, the TT. D, the total terminal difficulty to reach a certain number. And there's many different websites out there that are tracking this. But I thought I'd bring you as well, um, you know, some other players in the market. So I've bring up a few quotes. The first one um, is a beautiful photo of our friend Vitalik. And this is the Time magazine saying that the merge will become one of the most significant shifts in crypto's history. And it could have a slew of far-reaching effects. Next, we have Watcher Guru. The Bank of America is saying that Ethereum's merge to proof of stake may increase institutional adoption, which I could only agree with. Next, a trust wallet. They said that only 10,000 blocks are left before uh, the Ethereum merge. Um, and finally, one of the largest cryptocurrency publications, Decrypt, saying the Ethereum merge is one of the most significant technological updates in recent history, and it's happening this week. Here's everything you need to know. So I suppose bringing those tweets is just to show the, the depth of how involved the market is and how interested and how much attention this is getting for crypto i mean 
Most people don't even know what it's about, yet alone. It's just getting a lot of clickbait and public interest. It's a good thing, I suppose, Adam. Yeah, no? Absolutely a good thing. The technology is evolving and it's getting better. Yeah, and I suppose we want to analyze how successful, what's the potential for this to happen successfully. What are your bets? Do you think Ethereum can pull this off and go through successfully? And then what are the implications to the crypto market if it doesn't? Because that's obviously a concern too, right? Oh, yeah. There, there are some concerns to think about. I mean, there are some players that have been very um, very much against. I mean, the ones that have been basically uh, profiting from uh, the previous uh, way it was working. So uh, I think that's somehow the biggest risk we are seeing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, broadly, the, the vast majority are certainly uh, very supportive of this uh, change. So uh, therefore, I'm seeing this as a very good thing. And, uh, and and in the terms of price movement, I would see I would see it broadly as a positive. Yeah, that's a good thing, and I wouldn't. I'd say that some people are getting a little bit jittery. So mm. uh, I found something. Uh, Coin shares. They're a great reporting uh, body. Um, they said that ether-based digital assets investment products saw an outflow of sixty-one point six million in the last few days, saying that some people could be a little bit concerned about the merge if it doesn't go ahead correctly. I'm sure there's plenty of other reasons why that they did that. But 84% of Ethereum nodes are now marked as merge ready, which means they will be moved over to the, the new and exciting proof of stake uh, chain. Uh, and that's up 15% in just one week from 73% last week. Yeah, I remember you, the I'm, 70 number. You okay. Exactly. I gave you, I think it was last week on the podcast as yeah. well. Um, and just one final note from Bank of America, because I say everybody's talking about it. But if you look up, just say Ethereum merger on Google, maybe you can do that after you listen to the show. There is so much content by big banks, by the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, every big publication in the world is covering this. So cryptos hit mainstream. Now, Bank of America has said this, the significant reduction in energy consumption post-merge may enable some institutional investors to purchase the token that were previously prohibited from purchasing tokens that run on blockchains, leveraging proof-of-work consensus mechanisms. We already know all of this and many of our listeners mm -hmm. do, but it just goes to show they're covering it and it's getting a lot of interest. You excited? Yeah. Me too. Thank you very much, Adam, for all that uh, interesting news. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you very much for tuning into the first section of the show. Now, last week on the show, we talked about borrowing and lending, and we thought we'd go even more niche. Now, this week, I did promise you that we'd be covering flash loans. Let me warn you, this is not an easy topic to follow, and I know uh, my partner in crime here, Dr. Adam, is grinning because this is definitely his area of expertise, uh, but let's drive straight into it, uh, Adam. Flash loans. Now, of course, it involves a loan and of course you're getting something and you have to pay it back. It's a lot more complicated uh, than that, but we know how big DeFi is. You've got insurance markets, borrowing and lending markets, leverage products, derivative markets, decentralized and centralized exchanges. But now we're talking about flash loans. There's many of different borrowing and lending parts of the, uh, of this modern economy, but tell us what is a flash loan in its essence and how does it work? Well, so in its essence, it is uh, just a loan, but that it spans over a very short amount of time. So in, in traditional uh, fiat uh, world, it wouldn't make any sense because this can last as short as seconds or minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, so you wouldn't be doing that. Uh, I mean, there is no obvious reason why we're borrowing money and returning it just a few seconds after. But, there, uh, but on the decentralized exchanges, there is a lot of good reasons for that. And uh, so let me, uh, and I will, I will get to the details, specifically mention uh, some examples, uh, how, how that works. Uh, and, 
but for now, I'll just give you some very brief overview. So firstly, uh, the first chart that I was showing is some of the projects out there on the DeFi space, they're actually uh, providing flash loans. So you can see here Aave, Maker, Balancer, uh, and, and there is another one. Uh, all of those have been facilitating. Aave was the first one to introduce that. And then, of course, you can even put a flash loan aggregator on top of that if you, uh, if you wish. That will be uh, getting you, uh, potentially trying to get you the best possible deal. Uh, so that's uh, one of the, th uh, that's kind of the one side that we are seeing more and more providers. And there are also different blockchains now they are supporting it. Uh, so, for example, Terra also uh, introduced flash loans earlier. Uh, so that uh, that was, for example, used by another uh, project um, called White Whale. So, um, so one of their applications was actually using these flash loans to try to uh, do aggregate. Or so, so trying to get advantage uh, of uh, of instant changes mm -hmm. in prices. So. Um, and um, there is, of course, a risk. Uh, so uh, this, uh, the next chart here, uh, or picture is showing that there was actually uh, something, uh, if you're not careful with how that is uh, effectively uh, used, uh, that can be a risk associated. So basically what is happening is you are allowed to use, uh, uh, you to, so you borrow money for a short amount of time, and some people have actually, uh, if, if the contracts were not built up in an appropriate way, they can use that to manipulate the price of a, cer uh, of a certain token, and so have they done, and then uh, and basically uh, s get a snap profit uh, mm -hmm. using that. So that was, uh, for example, the, uh, the, pr the project mentioning on the picture here that w was uh, unfortunately hit by that. So, there are, uh, so these flash loans, they sound very innocent because it's just a few seconds, a few minutes, uh, how that works. But the, there has been some, uh, not everyone uh, knew exactly how to use it and how to implement them. Oh, in the big picture, they are extremely useful and we will get to example, very specific cases. Yeah, of course. And you might be thinking, make, taking on a loan and paying it back straight away in the same block sometimes as well yep, on yep, a blockchain. That's usually exactly what that happens. That doesn't make any sense. Who would use that? It's virtually a useless thing. Well, there's three major ways in which it could be used uh, and I've highlighted them here and uh, I've got little quotes that explain why that would be useful. So the first one is you might use it for arbitrage opportunities in different markets. That's probably the most common use case. And of course, I suppose people are thinking, oh, well, it's a way to profit off, you know, the movements in the market, but it's also a way to keep markets pretty honest. I mean, the opportunity that is arbitrage, make sure that, you know, prices are pretty equal across all markets at the end of the day, because when people take advantage of arbitrage, it equalizes all, uh, all prices across markets. So that's the first one. The next is collateral swap, swaps, which involves a quick swap of a collateral backing user's loan for another type of collateral. So you can change out the collateral that has been used to bank the, uh, back a loan immediately. Yeah, and so then, I, will, I will outline that in a second. Yeah. Not, well, there we go. It's coming up. Uh, and then finally, debt refinancing as well. So there's some really, I suppose, useful applications in DeFi markets of flash loans, uh, assisting other financial services such as a borrowing and lending market service other than just taking advantage of arbitrage opportunities. So as you mentioned, Aave was one of the first uh, to implement a flash loans and the first one to coin the term, I believe. Tell us, about, uh, tell us about how they do it and maybe an application or two. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, Aave was, uh, so they were really the first one that came up with the idea and everyone else is a copycat. So some credit goes there to Aave because 
like uh, yeah, I mean it's it's really innovative to some extent. You ha we haven't seen anything like that in the real world to some extent. So uh, so yeah, very very interesting. And as you mentioned, one application is uh, to uh, swapping collateral. So I mean, just to explain people what is even that. Okay, so firstly we have like Aave. What is it? Uh, what is it using? Uh, what is it service? For us, like so, it's lending and borrowing. So one thing you can do with Aave, the Aave project, is that you can have, let's say, you have some ether, and um, and you lock that um, into a protocol, and then you will get some interest out. And maybe you will, uh, if you have locked in some uh, currency, you can actually also use it to uh, borrow something else against it. And then, of course, uh, the interest is, uh, I mean, there are some adjustments to how uh, how that works, uh, but you can essentially put mo pull money out in a different currency. So that's very, very interesting. Okay, so, um, so let's say you actually locked in Ethereum, and let's say that's worth of uh, 100 US dollars, and what you did, you borrowed uh, so a stable coin. So you, you are very keen to... Uh, expose yourself to the Ethereum risk because you think the price will go up, but you wanna you will have some stable coin in your pocket in case you wanna do some transactions back and forth, and uh, yeah, so so you are borrowed so some let's say die against that, okay? So let, let's say you borrowed uh, seventy five die and your collateral is uh, Ethereum, okay? And let's say you for example uh, locked in that on uh, on Compound. Uh, protocol okay so uh, here is a chart that is uh, um, yeah so so you borrowed 75 die from uh, and so what do you do um, and you uh, so what you want to try to do is now you, because you locked you you the locked the ethereum is locked in right mm -hmm. so there's nothing you can do about it how would you exchange it to something else like for example let's say you want to uh, you're no longer your concern, the Ethereum will go down. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have to exchange it to a to a stablecoin. How do you do it? Well, you need the die. You need to return the die. Right? How do you do it? Well, you need to have it. But I don't have the die right now. What can you do? Well, you can use a flash loan. So, what you do within a short amount of time? Step number one: you borrow seventy-five die from Aave. That's so. so they using an Aave flash loan, you borrow yep. that seventy-five die, and then you, you have that money, and uh, and so that you pay that back to the compound where you deposit the Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then as you deposit that back, compound is happy. They will release the Ethereum to you. Mm -hmm. So now you have the Ethereum. Now you can swap that to a stable coin, so let's say uh, USD coin, so USDC. And now you can uh, borrow 75 DAI um, from Compound where you lock up the USDC as collateral because now you have USDC, so you can, uh, you can then borrow 75 DAI against that. And finally... When you're locked in the stable coin and you're now happy you have something more stable as a collateral and you borrowed 75 die against that, then you return that 75 die to Aave that provided you the flash loan. So it's a big circle that you're getting there. But if you look at the chart Adam's provided, it step by step explains how 
based on that fundamental concern about the value of your Ethereum that is being, I suppose, under threat, you can change the collateral that you're using to back the loan using a flash loan and get it sorted almost instantaneously. Now, I think one of the biggest barriers to entry of understanding and even using flash loan is probably how complicated it is to understand it and how difficult is it to actually implement that? Are there platforms and protocols that make it simpler or do people really have to have a strong understanding of the protocols they're on and then of course the smart contracts and codes that it's written in? What's the deal there? It's a little bit tricky to implement, mm-hmm. uh, but the good thing is the blockchain technology is very, very often open source. So a lot of these things are actually open source. You just copy paste the uh, open source and you have your own small project that can provide all of these uh, smart flash loan services. And that's basically why uh, people would, were so easily able to do a copycat of the Ava invention. Yeah. So. Yes, it is a bit technical, but there are a lot of people that have already implemented it. So for us as users, it's super easy. Yeah, of course. And I've got a quick one here just with a Uniswap uh, and how you could use a Uniswap flash loan to do arbitrage, which is the first example that we spoke of here. So bringing up, this is from the white paper, I suppose, of Uniswap's flash loans. Uh, Coming directly from them, they say that Uniswap flash swaps, which is what they actually call them, allow you to withdraw up the full reserves of any ERC-20 token on Uniswap and execute arbitrary logic at no upfront cost, provided that by the end of the transaction, you either pay for the withdrawn ERC-20 tokens with the corresponding pair tokens or return the withdrawn ERC-20 tokens along with a small fee. So uh, the second chart here will show you exactly um, the market that we're making here. So initially, if you borrowed uh, 2 million DAI, you'd pay 1,000 Ether on Exchange A for that DAI. Then you'd sell 1,000 Ether on Exchange B for that DAI. And that small difference in price that you can see for the DAI Ether impairing is your profit because of the discrepancy that you saw on two exchanges. After you pay the Uniswap fee, you keep the difference. And as I said, it keeps markets very honest because everybody is making, when everyone's taking advantage of these opportunities, it pushes the price uh, back to square one. Uh, And this is a complicated topic. We do understand that. But at the end of the day, all of these technologies are really powering DeFi and making it act a lot like the real financial world. Yeah, I have another one. So if you find it complicated to use two exchanges uh, to facilitate this kind of... uh, uh, I will give you a hint. You can actually do it within just one exchange. Mm-hmm. So that is, for example, something the White Whale project did. So the way you do it, instead of like trying to really adjust the prices between two different exchanges, what is f- easier to implement, should you try to do that, I can help you with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you are focusing on different pairs within the same exchange. So that could be token A to token B, from token B to token C, from token C back to token A. Wow. Right? So there will always be some imbalance. So at least mathematically, you can always find a direction if there is no fee involved where you could profit. Wow. So you're really, I suppose, skimming the milk off the top of the milk, or skimming the cream off the top every time there's a transaction going around. And this is the deep, dark world of finance. And uh, I suppose... 
not always the best thing when you see people taking advantage of markets like this. But as I said, it keep markets honest and efficient. So, Dr. Adam, thank you for sharing us all your insights on that topic. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, with just a couple minutes left, you're, of course, waiting for the bright ideas and opportunities uh, that keep us honest, especially on the show, especially when the market has turned lower. Um, I'll throw it over to you, Adam. Just quickly, what are you looking at this week and why do you like it? Yeah, so I like uh, osmosis. Um, so th- this is uh, um, not the actually the fee on the uh, on the atom ecosystem. It is uh, something a little bit different. So remember, there are various type of blockchains, and one of the blockchains uh, that is maybe not the most common now or the most famous one is uh, is the atom ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, atom blockchain, and. Now, uh, of course, every single blockchain have kind of their own swap or their own DEX. And like, for example, if if we look at Binance, uh, of course, the centralized, we know what that is, but there is also the biggest decentralized exchange on Binance. That will be the pancake swap. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at, for example, Ethereum, uh, there will be, uh, for example, there will, for example, be Uniswap. That's the very famous one. And then you can ask, well, what about on the Atom ecosystem? Is there an equivalent? Is there like a market maker uh, There is uh, where you have like clearly pairs and you can swap one token for another? And the answer to that is, of course, yes, there is such an uh, exchange and that is called uh, Osmosis. Mm-hmm. And that project has a governance token and um, that is OSMO. So that's the one uh, that I have decided to pick for this week. And a number of reasons for that. I mean, uh, one is, of course, I think any uh, major DEX on every blockchain, I mean, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. And uh, so certainly we do that as well. So we have mentioned uh, some of the others as opportunities uh, before, but never really mentioned the one on the Atom ecosystem. So something to uh, keep an eye on as well. So one of the reasons uh, I wanted to mention it specifically is it actually has some advantage, um, even though it is we are talking uh, at smaller scales uh, comparing to some of the others. uh, It is actually the design of uh, this DEX is very interesting uh, in a a way because, for example, when you provide the liquidity pairs that goes into the DEX, you can uh, you have more choice comparing to, for example, other how fees are, uh, are coming into the picture. In particular, uh, you can request that uh, the people swapping they will be paying the fees using the Osmo token. So not only is it used as a governance token, but it can also be directly implemented into the fee structure. So uh, that's certainly something to keep in mind. And there are some people, because they're, uh, they're doing exactly that, uh, to encourage the price of Osmo going up. So uh, that's certainly one of the reasons uh, for, for buying it. Another reason is the technical one. So, um, so let's uh, have a look at the chart, how that is looking, because I do think if you look at the chart there, it has been st- uh, it had a pullback and now technically it lo- looking great. So I would consider it on a technical basis a buy as well. Well, so yeah, again, it's not looking too bad when you look at the broader market. It's at least been trending upwards. Um, now, for my one, I, when I was perusing all the charts today, uh, one issue I saw was the uh, plethora of big red candlesticks that uh, make trading a very difficult thing, especially when you're picking opportunities to go long, which most of our viewers would be as well on the crypto markets. Uh, and this week, I have picked Near Protocol. So one of the big competitors uh, in the smart contract platform space to the likes of Ethereum, 
Ethereum, uh, Solana and Atom as well, and all mm. the likes of those smart contract platforms. But over the last few weeks and months, they've had a lot of positive news come out and they continue to you know hold up in the market. And I think technically they look good okay. But uh, in August last month, they actually suffered quite a significant attack on the blockchain. Hackers uh, tried to disrupt the flow of its operation and the near protocols mechanisms in place automatically blocked that attack within 31 seconds. I think there was some uh, funds stolen from uh, specific wallets and those funds were uh, already refunded within the 31 seconds. That's how efficient it was. And the hackers actually lost five Ethereum uh, in their activities on hacking the blockchain. So very secure and it always has been and it's known for its security. Um, in September, this was just a few days ago, Tether, they launched their USDT coin uh, on the near protocol. Uh, and as well, yesterday it was they... Um, entered into a crucial stage of their sharding upgrade. So they, of course, use sharding, which separates blockchains into many different shards, allowing consensus to be reached a lot quicker because each node is only operating on one shard rather than the whole blockchain as once. And, of course, that's something they're famous for as well. And then finally, uh, bringing up the chart, as you can see, there's that big red candlestick there. Uh, don't let that scare you. They're still in an upward trending channel. If it fell out of that channel, I would be slightly concerned. But if they can continue to find support where they are post a green candle, that would become a higher low. Uh, and there's plenty of upside to the north with their most recent significant high, more than 35% away. Um, so that's why I'm bringing it. And near is one I'd be happy to hold in a portfolio for the longer term. Yeah, what do you think? Like I it? agree. Perfect. Adam, as always, thank you very much for joining us on the Platypus Show. And ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure spending time with you today. Thank you very much for tuning in. My name is Louis Mossman, and this has been the Platypus Show.